0: Welcome to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Antonio Garcia Martinez, the author of Chaos Monkeys, and an entrepreneur. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York, that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top secret hardware, Happy FunCorp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy FunCorp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com Welcome back to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. Today on the show, I have, uh, what would you call yourself, Antonio? Uh, author, you also described yourself as being a uh, a, a a um a shit muck- raker. A shit raker, I, I think. Uh, <laughs> it's,
1: it's like a muckraker but worse. Yeah.
0: Antonio Garcia Martinez. Antonio Garcia. You can you can find his book now. About the you're writing about the valley in a way that's very very specific to a couple books that are happening right now. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the book uh, and and what's inside it?
1: Right. So the book is. A first person memoir about my sort of roller coaster ride through the valley so what that means is it's called chaos it starts monkeys. off Sorry, with a. we,
0: we didn't even, we didn't even say it's it called, called chaos, chaos monkeys yeah
1: okay. yeah chaos monkeys chaos monkeys obscene fortune random failure in Silicon valley is mm-hmm. the full title um and it's available online hardcover audio etc um so yeah i mean the book is basically a story of me working as a quant at goldman as the financial markets were blowing up and then realizing that you know the tech Silicon Valley would be the only sort of economic oasis in the coming, in the coming apocalypse. And so I um I head west, literally, I mean so cliche in a convertible BMW across the US for five days into the setting sun uh, to get to California. And then I I joined a sort of late Series C company as Employee 70 something. It was a complete fiasco, CEO was a sociopath. Uh, I made two good friends there. We applied to Y Combinator, which as your listeners probably know is this accelerator thing responsible for companies like Airbnb, Dropbox, et cetera. Uh, we did the YC thing. Every every plague that can befall an early stage startup befell us. Co-founder problems. We couldn't launch. We could raise money, then we could raise money on bad terms. And then worst of all, getting sued from our previous employer. Total success go. And then 10 months later, boom, Twitter buys us, except I had to get weird and... I ended up doing sort of a weird mixed deal where I went to Facebook and the rest of the company went to Twitter, which actually isn't. isn't oh I'm sorry, I'm giving you a spoiler because maybe you haven't gotten there. yet. I, that's, fine. But that's, that's, uh, that's, that's
0: that sounds that sounds like when uh, it sounds like uh, Seinfeld when Jerry when uh, I think who was it George had to become somebody's butler after after being in a uh, after being in a car crash. That seems like a uh, it seems like a really strange punishment.
1: Uh yeah, well yeah I mean I wouldn't call it a punishment in retrospect one of the ironies is that in fact I probably should have just gone to Twitter and not been <laughs> such a little asshole about it but anyhow that's that we're getting ahead of ourselves we're getting okay. ahead of ourselves and so following that I end up at Facebook and just to draw draw short this overly long description I spent two years at Facebook a year before and a year after the IPO and I helped build part of what what now is the Facebook ad system so mm-hmm. if you know you or your listeners go and browse something on the web and then you see related products. Inside and it feels like clearly facebook is snooping out what you do outside of facebook i actually built that
0: okay cool of so, that. You, so you, you, yeah. you you destroyed our you destroyed our privacy commercial privacy
1: yeah absolutely absolutely, absolutely. For, for fun and profit absolutely yeah. so mm-hmm.
0: it's it's beautifully written I'm, i i that's that's one of the things that's very striking that the, the fact that you're a startup guy and you're able to actually write uh really really well is a is a testament to i guess education what what happened there
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, why, why do you write so well? You're supposed to be this sort of geeky, <laughs> techie guy. The, the reality is that I've always, uh, I've actually always been a writer, and I've only been faking it in, in an extended sort of Hunter S. Thompson esque uh, sort of immersion uh, phenomenon in tech. Uh, it, it's actually true. My first, my first job, my first like actual, you know, pay stub mm-hmm. was as a, a journalism intern at the Miami Herald in high school. Okay, and so the first money I ever made actually was was as a writer. Um, I think the writing thing, the long story or short story is that my mother was a librarian Mm -hmm. and I was raised in a library around books and it's always been sort of a bookish thing. And, you know, that, that'll explain, I mean, and it's kind of mock ironic, by the way, the, you know, somewhat solemn and classic epigraphs that head every chapter, for example, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's partially also a dig at uh what's that guy's name? Bradley Horowitz, is the hard thing about hard things or whatever. <laughs> he has all these rap lyrics and I find it I'm I'm a complete cultural elitist and I find that sort of vulgarization of culture despicable. And so instead I responded with quotes from, you know, Shakespeare and Polybius and Herodotus and uh, everything else. Okay, okay. But that's uh yeah, that's 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 why that's there.
0: But, yeah. <laughs> so so these, I'm I'm I I feel like I feel like we're sharing a lot here. I feel like a lot is coming out here. So Good. so the not again! Not to not to not to offer any spoilers. What do you think of the valley right now?
1: Well, you know, I think what everyone thinks, right? It's obviously this crazy boom. Um, I, I just wrote this off Is it still where a I boom? Is fa- it still a boom? Oh, I think so. I mean, well, if you look at real, st- I mean, I, to me, I think you know, it's it's a waterfall of value and money. Like you know, Facebook's CPM turns into Facebook share share price, which turns into how much you pay for a one bedroom in the mission, right? Like those are all related numbers. Um, <laughs> and right, as it turns out, right. And so, you know, CPMS for Facebook are are high. Facebook share price is strong, although not as strong as it's been in the past. And I think, uh, you know, real estate prices. I, I was just reading: uh, San Francisco has surpassed New York as the most expensive city to live mm-hmm. in, in in the United States. So I think it's safe to say that the boom is still is still roaring away.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. So this is this is a podcast about the future, and I want I want to I want to discuss your experiences more, but. I wanted you to tell us a little bit about what drew you from, um, I guess the, the, I guess the, you, I think you called it the, uh, the the death of capitalism in New York yeah. to to whatever was happening in the Valley. Why? What, what was the what was the what was the impetus to move there?
1: Yeah, I know. it's funny. People always ask like, how'd you go from academia to finance and then finance to advertising? They seem like disparate fields, when in fact they're actually very related. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so here's here's like the meta theme, and, and this is like if you were a VC, this is how I would pitch it, because VCs always like to think they're enabling like history in the future and speaking in, in massive sweeping terms. So here's the big secular trend uh, that's been happening over the past ten years, right? Um, and that I saw sort of the tail end of it in finance, and then I, I saw the beginning of it in media. Now, I and then mean, the help create part of it. Now it's kind of probably slowing down or closing. Um, what I'm talking about is, like, if you look at the financial markets, right? I mean, it's, it's funny because I was doing CNBC last week, and I went to the New York Stock Exchange, right? And I think the Stock Exchange only exists as a backdrop to CNBC interviews. Sure, like, absolutely. it doesn't actually do anything anymore. <laughs> people are just standing around doing nothing. Like, literally, they're wearing those jackets doing nothing. There's no volume. If people don't know, there's no volume that actually goes through the exchange. It's all electronic. Or even off the exchange. There's other. There's other uh, crossing. What I call uh, crossing networks. Yeah, so it's exactly like an event like hall. Now.
0: It's like it's like it's
1: like the. Uh... Yeah, it, it, it's an event hall. It literally is an event hall. And so that process that I witnessed, the very tail end of finance, in which you know it went from humans yelling at each other in a pit to computers talking to each other in microseconds. Uh, that you know I saw this sort of end of that happen at Goldman. And I and the reason I got hired, I got my, my official job title was research scientist at this later stage startup that i joined and what i was basically doing is writing the bidding estimators and algos for programmatically traded media and what that means in case it sounds a little wonky is whether you realize it or not every time you load a pay well every time you load facebook now thanks to what i built fbx and just the internet in general uh, believe it or not believe it or not literally every page you load there are hundreds of packets going through fiber optic cables literally in real time saying this person is here this person is here what do you want to bid uh, a bunch of advertisers go and look up all the data they know about you, which is a lot, by the way, including physical in-store purchases, online purchases, whatever data that Facebook and the publishers know about you, etc. They construct a bid, they, they, they get some ad created, they respond, and that all happens in less than the blink of an eye, wow. and hundreds of of, of billions of times uh, a day, and so that 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 sort of making media real time is 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 the sort of process that that it covered, and that and that's why if you have read like Michael Lewis's Flash Boys, right? Mm-hmm. So there's the Flash Boys of media, and that thing I mentioned, I, I alluded earlier to like how it is that you get tracked on the internet. That thing, right? That that real time exchange, which in the case of Facebook is called FBX, is what I built, and that and and bringing that like real time thing to the media world, the world of eyeballs instead of shares of Google, is is how I made that jump basically from finance to to technology
0: interesting so you basically you were you were there at the creation of um dark pools and 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 short cables that had that 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 sped that sped your uh sped your trades up faster et cetera yeah. Uh, co-located cages that had to be closest to the uh, to, to the main cage just to make it a little bit faster. Yeah. So you were there. Yep. You were there during that period. You were there essentially at the death of at the death of all those boys in uh, in, in jackets yelling at each other. And then you ended right. up. Then you ended up in the place where the exact same thing happening was, but it was happening for media, which is right. which is interesting because where does that leave something like a tech crunch or where does that leave something like a blog or, or newspaper? When, when the guys on the back end who were basically buying and doing insertion orders, et cetera, are now essentially just robots.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of a problem. Um, it, it, there, I, there's a couple of things going on, I think, in media and, and, and why companies like TechCrunch may or may not adapt to the, sort of, to the new media scape. One thing is the publisher used to hold all the cards. Like you know, You're alluding to the sales force right, that I'm mm-hmm. sure either TechCrunch or AOL or whatever used sure, to have sure. and would sell an insertion order which is funny. It's an interesting double entendre. Yeah. insertion order. Yeah.
0: I, 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 used, uh, I used to work on regular paper newspapers too, so it's. Uh, so oh I yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's,
1: that's yeah, that's a classic, right? All the the boiler room of like smile and dial people trying to get some plumber to spend three hundred bucks on, yeah. on newspapers or whatever, right? So that that world obviously um, completely goes away. Perhaps more importantly, or slightly more importantly, is that the accuracy of the targeting. Like back in the day, right? Yahoo, they used to have what are called rate cards, which is similar to TV, right? Mm -hmm. Imagine this. You sell a product that's intangible, that's basically served electrons, and and you declare what they're worth. You say they're worth $30 CPM. CPM is you know, price per thousand impressions and thirty dollars is pretty high, like it's super high. But if you want to get an ad on Yahoo Autos in two thousand eight or whatever, right? Their premium rate card, that's what it would cost. Mm-hmm. And and Yahoo or whatever could command those prices is saying, look, we've got this cars buying audience. Like we declare this audience to be interesting. We're the publisher and we say this is interesting. We control the data and everything. And you're just the advertisers you just shut up and buy and fax me your insertion order and it's over, right? But if you think about it, like why is Yahoo Autos worth 30 bucks? I mean, sure, the person buying an, a, a car is there, but two clicks later, they're on some blog somewhere else. Wouldn't you pay? wanna pay maybe not 30 bucks, but something more than the 20 cents you'd normally pay for an ad on some blog? Of course you would. If you could actually find that person, right, then you could, and, and, and this is where things change because advertisers get smart, they start cooking people that come to the sites, there starts being a third-party data economy. People actually pay for the right to put a pixel on Ads and then resell it later on exchanges. And and you have this shift in power, right? I mean, as I say in the book, you know, money – in media, money is just expendable ammunition, but, but data is actual power, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't go away, usually. And so you have this shift in power from the publisher who said, this audience is important because we say it is, to advertisers advertise saying – uh, look, publisher, we really don't care what you're saying about the audience. We know who our audience is. You just have to find it for us. What we care about is reach. We've got a million magical people that came and filled out a form on our site. We need to find them. And if you can find half of them, we'll pay you more than the other competing network or ad exchange that can only find a quarter of them, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was a subtle balance, change in power between the publisher, who had held all the cards, to the advertiser, right? And so getting back to your original question, what does that mean about TechCrunch? I mean, I don't know the details of TechCrunch, but just Whatever. use it as an does, what, does, what
0: does it mean for yeah. – um, I, I don't. I don't right. want to get in. I don't want to get too granular, but there's obviously sure, even there's right. even whole granularities or a long tail of, of media content that's out there. Plus, you got a few right. supernovae that are that are blasting out content constantly. Uh, right. That that right. That, are, that are doing. They're in the same. They're in the same market as some dude who's writing about I don't know his favorite his favorite. Uh, uh, right. I don't know whatever vests.
1: Right. Right. Well, I mean, what it means is that you know tech or a, a site like TechCrunch can't command. A premium for a supposedly special audience because the advertiser knows who that person is and can find them elsewhere. Right? You've you've lost that 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 pricing power in many ways, mm-hmm. and so and so the net CPMS will will, will go down basically what you can actually charge because there's a, there's an auction mechanism. You no longer say it's three dollars CPMS. It's like no, it's it's whatever the clearing price is, and the clearing price might be a buck fifty, right? Mm-hmm. And that and that's it. Um, and and so I mean where, where this was supposed to end up, and this goes to the one of the dramas in the book that toward the end of it, um, you know, it's supposed to end up. In a relatively rational, efficient world, in which the advertiser and, and its agents, right, and the people who facilitate this this technology, you know, have all the cards and all the data, and they just basically buy impressions wherever wherever it makes economic sense to. And if you have proper attribution, i.e., you know that this ad impression led to the sale, then you can do a proper you know return calculation, and then everything mm-hmm. seems very orderly. What happened, though, and, and this is one of the central dramas of the book, and it's still playing out now in technology, is that super large publishers like, say, Facebook or probably very soon, Snapchat, don't really want this sort of efficiency. right? And <laughs> they don't really want this transparency. And I, I actually draw a parallel between – again, getting to your point about like what's the parallel between finance and tech um, – I draw a parallel between Goldman and Facebook and that they're both – I mean there's very there's various parallels actually, but one of them is that they're both incumbents in their field. They're both very good at what they do. And, you know, they profit from maintaining information monopolies and information asymmetry. Mm-hmm. I, I know more about the markets or I know more, more about the user than you do. And I it's it's my fence walled garden that I can do anything I want with and I'm gonna structure it as technology such that you're basically just a piece of my long-term strategic puzzle. You you have no leverage on me and no way to outflank me and inter- intermediate me. And that, that was one of the central dramas in the book in which I, you know, I created this FBX thing, which was this very much, uh, you know, whoever gets to the fastest with the most efficient market had to compete with, frankly, the technologically black- backwards and clunky sort of Facebook ad system, which, you know, frankly, isn't very good. And any other ads person would tell you that. Um, but it was kept that way sort of by design Facebook kind of liked it that well yeah well you know what we control the entire ads experience as clunky as it is and if you don't like it you know what you can go somewhere else mm-hmm. and so that and yeah so that's I think one of the developments in media right now and, and we're still seeing it play out with Facebook
0: interesting okay so let's let's get in let's get into a little future talk what is sure. are, are you so you're in are you I, I read that you're in orcas right now or where, where are you living
1: uh, you know, it's a good question. It's, when someone asks me for a physical address, it's always kind of an awkward question. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, <laughs> I it's like, yeah, just, I just it, are, are you are you a uh, are you a are you a SF person? Are you a
1: uh, so, yeah, Orcas Island is where I wrote the book, and yeah. I'm an official resident of. I, For personal reasons, I have to stick around San Francisco for a couple of months, sounds, and right, yeah. so I, I crash on the boat. And so I'm, some, I'm somewhere between San Francisco and this beautiful little island up in the northwest called Orcas.
0: Okay, yeah. so what is what is San Francisco going to look like in 20 years?
1: Oh my God! I mean, I'm a total pessimist. well I don't know, about a total pessimist—but <laughs> I, I tend to be a little pessimistic. And I don't know—I mean, I'm sure a large fraction of your listeners probably live in the barrier, Area. But in case sure, you don't, sure. here's the scoop. Here's the scoop. Uh, y- you go driving around. And it's, it's shocking because I've—I've I've been coming back to San Francisco. I wrote part of the book in Europe and part of the book in Orcas, so I've been coming back every three to six months. And so you have—you know—it's like seeing a child every three months. You actually see the growth better than the parent who sees it every day. And so it—it's in just incredible. For so the past two years. Francisco has almost become like a third world city. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm absolutely not, not joking at all. If you go to every underpass in both the East Bay, where my boat is docked and in San Francisco proper, you have what's effectively a semi-permanent shanty town of tents and homeless people and like assorted garbage and their belongings and whatever else. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and and it's like the new normal, right? Like it's amazing how humans just change and everything, as long as like people aren't being shot on the street, you can deal with any sort of weird set of circumstances. Right. And, And it is just the case that San Francisco now resembles almost like a Latin American capital and that you just got these wide swaths of, like, shantytown poverty and you just walk around it and route around it as you go to your sort of overpaid tech job, and that's just the way it is, right? Mm-hmm. That's and, and I have to say, you know, in 20 years, if this city finally wakes up and starts building some serious housing, and if we deal with issues like mental health and addiction, whatever, maybe it won't go that way. But I I have to think, and this is, again, the pessimistic side of me that kind of believes in basic income, that, you know, I think it's going to be... Very much a has and has not sort of world. There's going to be a, a, some elite creative class cities like San Francisco and increasingly Seattle, where you know the, the wealthy and the one percent sort of want to live, and then everyone else gets the you know the rest of the United States, and and they're going to they're going to be moving in two totally different worlds. Let, let me cite you a metaphor that I think that's in the book. Actually, it's kind of interesting. Um, if you go to Valencia and Twenty Fourth, which I'm, I'm sure you probably know, San Francisco, that's like the heart of the Mission, mm-hmm. which was a former working class Mexican neighborhood and now is like techno hipster heaven, right, which is where you, and by the way, it's actually not that nice a neighborhood at the end of the day, but you still pay $3,400 a month for a a shitty one-bedroom apartment there, okay? On 24th of Valencia, which officially is like a muni stop to the the municipal transport system, has become a de facto shuttle stop for all the corporate shuttles. And so you go there like around 9 o'clock in the morning, you see a bunch of geeks sitting there with their heads craned over their phones, not talking to each other, and waiting for these large, white, private, you know, nice buses to show up. And competing for curb space with these, you know, crappy muni bus on it with probably like two passed out homeless people and you know, God knows who else on on the bus, and, and it's just this metaphor for like, wow, these are the two different, not even halves. This, this is the two different parts of society, and they're going in very different directions, right? And I think we're going to see more and more of that in San Francisco going mm-hmm. forward.
0: Okay, so is there is there oh, the? I guess I guess the question is is there hope for? Uh, is there hope for a creative city like that to survive? What does 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 a city like does a city like San Francisco need? Both the working class, uh, the and the and the guys craned over their iPhones all day uh, to exist, or can can it just be the guys craned over their iPhones all day? Or what, what, I mean, come on. Who's
1: yeah? Of course, of course, you need the working class. Who's going to be the rental human inside the Uber or the Instacart machine? Right. You need that little element, right? I'm um, I'm saying that flippantly, but it's, yeah. it's kind of true, right? I mean, those are the only jobs for the non-techies that the tech world is producing. I mean, but, to some degree, right? But but it's, the, it's,
0: but, we, but we'd also argue that the guy in the Uber is no longer going to be a guy uh, in the next couple but of years.
1: That, that that's the other thing, right? As soon as you can replace that guy with 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 some some automation. That's You want to be futuristic? I'll quote Mark Andreessen, who I who I like, even though he blocked me on Twitter um, for his sort of forward-looking statement. But he blocks everyone. I think it's a badge of honor. It's yeah, like, he, he, he like, blocked he blocked, blocked me for a minute,
0: and then I then he forgot why, and then, he, then uh, well, he yeah, I'm me.
1: sure I, I forgot why he blocked me too. I'm sure I deserved it. Anyhow, uh. he likes to say that you know in the future there'll be two types of jobs, right? Uh, telling the computer what to do and being told by the sure, computer sure. what to do, right? And it, and it's weird because human work has gone from, or like automate computers, right? Like automated logic of some form or another, whether cash registers or smartphones, has gone from being like, oh, the automation is like the hard step in a fundamentally human workflow, i.e. the cashier's cash register, the accountant's calculator, the engineers, whatever, graphing calculator. Humans are now actually doing the hard thing and effectively a computer-driven workflow, right? Mm -hmm. They're just doing the last little bits that artificial intelligence can't, like driving or like finding a box of, six dollar artisanal pasta on a shelf at whole foods which is mm-hmm. why instacart exists those little <laughs> people so it's just it's, it's totally turned work around right and it's i i think it's horrifying and this is why of course there's a lot of interest in things like basic income because it'll soon be the case that large swaths of humanity at least in the developed world just won't have skills that anybody wants they just won't be jobs. they just there will be no work on offer um and um and, and we're already having that. I mean not to plug or like cross reference another show, but this American life did a whole thing about uh disability insurance, which is sure. becoming basically a back a backdoor basic income. And there's parts of the United States, particularly in what we you know dismissively call the flyover state, in which something like a quarter of working males, which are working adults, which is a huge number, basically just don't work. They're not in the labor market. They just get paid and they and they just do nothing and, and that's that's it. And I think that's where we're probably going to end up heading, unless, of course, we end up in either tyranny or revolution, which that's a whole different ball. But yeah, I think that's it's it's I don't know, as you can tell, I'm not very optimistic, but (laughs) you asked about the future. (laughs) That's my
0: thought. (laughs) So this this is a podcast about a better future. What what can what can we uh, what can we humans do to stop what you're what you're proposing?
1: I I mean, I don't know if I was like a Bernie, I'd say (laughs) Bernie, but uh, I don't know. Uh, and, and but i'm not a bernie bro though i am somewhat sympathetic to to, to him um you know I'm, I'm i'm not sure um uh i mean before the interview you were joking you want to know you want to know my view on the, the, the future of technology or social sure. media would that maybe be more helpful yeah go for it okay so we mentioned orcas right so it, it's funny. one of the things i noticed on orcas orcas is this beautiful little island 2,000 people on the in the winter um classic small town right um what I realized is that social media, which I'm a Washington, by the way, I, I use it. So, you know, if I criticize people who use it, I'm pointing the finger as much at me as anyone else. Mm-hmm. What I realized is living on this island is that social media basically tries to recreate the phenomenon of a small town, which is like, you know, the, the, the embryonic social experience that every that traditionally every human lived in, mm-hmm. and tries to recreate that via, obviously, mobile apps, smartphones, and, and the various device, gadgets that we have. I noticed that my social media usage went down, right? Because you don't need to check in. There's only two bars on the island. If you show up... And everyone who's out that night saw you walk in the door and says, hi, there's there's no need for a check-in, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You don't need to share each other's lives because everyone, there's a constant sort of, you know, good-spirited but still kind of gossipy thing in which if you have a common friend, you'll get the update on what they're doing from that common friend, like literally in in any everyday conversation, walking to the grocery store, the restaurant, whatever, right? And I just realized that that at the end of the day, like things like Facebook are basically a coping mechanism, right? I mean, we're still humans that, you know, evolved – in a sort of pre-modern time, and we still have what's called Dunbar's number, which if you're not familiar, it's like 150 mm-hmm. people that you can actually remember and care about, right? And and the reality is that, you know, you get back to privacy and think questions about privacy. You know, we've never, if you think about it, Nick Denton says this, and I know that's like a charged source, but he's actually, I think, very smart about a lot of media is that you know we've never actually had privacy. If you think about it, before the rise of like the industrial revolution and large anonymous cities, mm-hmm. the fact that you lived as a stranger among strangers was unusual, right? As in a small town or even in like a, a neighborhood inside you know quote unquote city, you'd still know the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. You'd know everyone in your building. You, it, it, it was anonymity didn't exist. You couldn't do things and have people not know about it. If you're having mm-hmm. an affair, everyone knew it. If you were a cheat, everyone knew it, right? you you're you were constantly broadcasting everything, right? But we've had this weird little window of a sort of post-industrial life with enormous cities and high-rises and sort of you know, the social breakdown of the family and you work where you, you weren't necessarily born, et cetera, et cetera. And so we had this window of anonymity, and now it's closing again, basically due to technology, right? Like you're never going to be a stranger. You might be a stranger to your neighborhood. You're not going to know your neighbors, but everyone's going to know everything about you, a potential date, employer, whatever. It's all known as if you had been raised together, even though, of course, you weren't. And so I think that's, that's this thing of having the small town in your pocket sort of unbounded by geography, like everyone in my friend list is now part of my small town, I think is kind of this interesting thing if you think about it that way. And I think that trend is going to accelerate. If you look at things like Oculus, for example, right, it makes it even more real. Like you could literally seem to inhabit or seem to interact in the same space, <laughs> even though you're, you're, you're miles apart, right? Like you could literally have, you can navigate a small town in which only your friends are there and only people who... Uzi, by the way, are there, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that trend will definitely accelerate.
0: Okay, fascinating. So, so we're getting into a can can we escape? Can we escape um, constant surveillance? at some
1: point yeah you could you can do like i did and move to a small rural island in the northwest <laughs> where there's no where there's no wi-fi phone and there's no sewer either and you're just kind of living out there with the deer and the rabbits and shit i mean yeah you could do that right. but uh i i mean i i look it's not necessarily a bad thing i mean look i mean just to cite one unfortunate example but nonetheless i think once one glimmer i mean it, the phenomenon is horrible but the, the reaction to it is not a good thing. Like all these police shooting videos, right? Like, mm-hmm. think about it. Like, it, 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 this didn't start now, right? It's always been happening, right? People just didn't know about it because sure, there's no way sure. to record it, right? Because you couldn't live stream it, right? Like, I mean, I don't know if you saw the shooting yesterday and it's funny, there's so many, I forget the names, but the one in which the, the girlfriend, like, That's live true, streamed yeah. The man's death right and it's like and again this has been happening forever right but it's just it hasn't been in everyone's attention because because you didn't have that level of recording right Yeah, it, and it, so it, it took a know, while
0: to develop the film which is which is at this point right. now it's now it's just basically a mini tv tv studio in your pocket
1: right right i mean it's a truman show in which we're, you remember that movie with jim carrey That's right, a, right yeah. in which he's being watched by everyone it's it's, it's 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 every it's a truman show except everyone's in truman right mm-hmm. and you know i think it has both good and bad things but you know There it is, right? I mean, if you think about it, like, ask yourself the question, you know, police shootings or crime, how how can crime happen? I was walking through Berkeley, and parts of Berkeley can be a little sketchy. And I was wondering, like, yeah, if I got mugged, how is that possible? Because the criminal probably has an Instagram feed, right? Mm -hmm. And people probably know who he is, right? And I've got basically a computer in my pocket that I can talk to, all the databases of the world basically in real time like why can't i photograph this or why can't i press a, a panic button saying this is going on right now like help me like what, in a world in which everything is being monitored crime just doesn't happen anymore right or can't happen anymore and so you know it, it, i think a, a lot of the repercussions are very interesting when you think about the fact that you know everything will be known everything will be known right for better or worse um and i think we often focus on the negative and we don't often maybe see the, sure, the positive
0: sure, sure. but but yeah. Yeah, and like I'm 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 sitting here I'm sitting here especially with the podcast. I have I have three kids and I I, I look at the I look at the the world as this. and I I figure that there can't it can't be all that bad as a as a as a techno utopianist, I guess you could say. I believe we can solve a lot of these issues with technology and there's a lot of the issues that 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 are created by technology. Um so yeah, I mean it's it's hear me? yeah, I hear you. I hear oh. you. So, yeah, okay. so, so you, so to to a degree, to a degree, you're you're pessimistic about this whole operation, and also to a degree that you're you're optimistic because because once everything is known, nothing bad can really happen, right?
1: Right. I mean, the, of course, the only problem is if it happens in a in a dictatorial environment in which we don't. I mean, in the in the in the first world and the West, we assume sort of some version of the Bill of Rights, right? And then yeah. obviously they're not evenly spread out, and some people get denied their rights as we just discussed, etc. cetera. But by and large. Uh, You know, compared to my distant cousins who live in communist Cuba, for example, right? We don't actually have to fear the level of surveillance because we still have a functioning court system, Mm -hmm. right? But so assuming that's in place, and and it's funny because at the end of the day, it's actually harder to impose or or to sort of implement rule of law and human rights than it is cell phone towers and smartphones, right? I mean, you can have technology, but not have freedom, as we can see with China, right? And so, um, anyhow, um, yeah, no, I think it will be, it'll be a weird world. I mean, I, the things I worry more is actually about the impact on intellectual life. Like you're ra- you're raising kids who can't really focus on anything for longer than a few minutes. And I'm not sure that's actually a terribly good thing. Speaking of your kids, um, but, uh, or kids, I mean, I have kids too, right. And I, I look at them interacting with devices. And I'm like, wow. I mean, I literally used to, you know, I was bookish kid, but still I'd sit there and like read a thing and do nothing else for 5 hours straight. Like I, I can't I don't think anyone in that generation does that anymore. Like it just doesn't exist. And um I wonder about that.
0: Yeah, I like I like I like to think it still happens, but uh, but we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, we're it's trying to, it's it's like pulling teeth trying to get the kids to read around here, but but they're 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 slowly but surely doing it. All right. So, let's <laughs> let's go through the let's go through the places where people can find out what you've been working on. Uh Chaos Monkeys is uh is on Amazon right now and it's doing really well there. I'm really enjoying it. It's really well written, so congratulations on that. Uh, where else can people find you?
1: Uh well, I mean, I'm your usual social media gadfly. So just look at <laughs> my name on Facebook and I should crop up. I'm on Twitter. I have an author website. as almost like a historical relic. Do people still have websites? I think
0: um, they do. I
1: think um, they do. So, do they? Yeah. I'm, I was actually going to, I'm going to post some sample chapters. Some of the stuff that got cut uh, and a lot got cut. I was going to put on there just as like an extra little, a little bonus to readers. Um, yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. Very cool. yeah.
0: All right, super. So thank you very much, Antonio, for joining us. This has been Technotopia, a podcast about our future. I'm John Biggs, and we will see you next week.